agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government of the government love. The government of the government love. The government of the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Good evening, Mike. Hey, Jay, how you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I am doing okay, too, I think. Uh, like As you mentioned, we're, we're recording, we normally record this Saturday morning, and so it being uh, a Friday evening, it is kind of a weird weird sort of feel, but I don't know. I kind of like this little change of pace. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, if you're ready to go, you know, we've got a bunch of listener mail that's been building up and I am ready to tackle it if you are. Uh, yeah, fire away. And I've been off for a couple of weeks, so the, they're yeah. probably not mad at me. It's oh. probably somebody else. So well, you might be surprised because in fact, <laughs> our first question, no, actually our first two questions are from me. Oh, believe okay. it or not. Yeah. This is a new thing. Okay. But you know, you, uh, uh, you did uh, your first quick take last week, and that's for supporters at the $5 a month level and so forth. And and, and I, I listened to it. I listened to everything. And I actually had a couple questions for you, if you don't mind. Uh-oh. All right. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah, so, far away, I think. Yeah, I'm trying okay. to even think what I, what I said. Ah, yeah, see, exactly. That's the problem with a quick take. Just kind of off the top of your head. But, but in, in one part of it, and I forget where exactly, you uh, you talked about the Democrat Party. And, you know, I thought, well, wait a second. When you said that, I said, I'm a member of the Democratic Party, but no Democrat Party. And so, you know, and, and this is a term, maybe you've inadvertently used it. I don't know. Or maybe I misheard you. That could be. But, but it, yeah, as you know, it's a term that's popular. It's simply a derogatory. Yeah. Yes. And it seems to me, so maybe I did mishear you and I need to, to check it again, but, but it seems to me to be kind of, needlessly inflammatory kind of a i take it as sort of a tribal signal in a way and it's just kind of counterproductive which is maybe why i was surprised when at least i thought i i heard it so maybe you could could talk a little bit about what you think about that term i well first of all i don't think i said it because i i typically don't right it's not my practice and i and I'm, i'm usually pretty cognizant of what i'm saying although the quick take was was a weird format it is weird right yeah. and it's it's a weird sort of um you're just talking and and nobody's responding to you and you have no idea and you just feel like like oh, i keep filling space and uh-huh yeah um so i don't know so it, it's entirely possible i i did say the democrat party although typically that's not what i would say i would say the democratic party um yeah it is it is sort of funny that that it's used as 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 sort of the derogatory uh term although i'm not i'm not entirely sure why it 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 is i guess other than just to say it's you know they're not the implication they're not truly democratic uh they're just the party of the democrats um i, I don't know I'm, I'm not really sure where that got started or how it got started but i think it's it's been sort of a staple for you know at least a, a generation or so i think yeah. right yeah and I think I think you're right. It's the idea of uh, something being democratic. That sounds good. And democratic so, is good. Yeah, exactly. You know, and in, in in a way that you know we can say, well, it's good that uh, we have a republican form of government, but that doesn't yeah. have the same resonance with the public. Which is, I right. think, why Republicans aren't you know, or Democrats aren't calling the Republican Party the the, the Republic Party or something right. like that. You know, right. but but I don't know. It's a term that just kind of I guess sticks in my craw a little bit because it just seems so. I was just trying to screw with you. You know exactly. So okay, it's I good. Do good. That. Well, okay, good. I'm I'm glad. <laughs> so, um, my second question. I think it's a more substantive thing. You had this 
really interesting discussion in your quick take on nationwide injunctions. And, and apparently yeah. both you and I didn't realize this Clarence Thomas are against them. And I found this, I found this really fascinating. And we didn't discuss it beforehand. No, we no, just probably not that, happened way. that way. Yeah. But I, I would, I, I want to run something by you. Couldn't yeah. you argue that these injunctions, which basically stop government from doing something while a case is being decided are actually conservative in nature. I mean, not, you know, modern GOP activist conservative, sure. our president doesn't get to do this, but old school. Birkin, it, it is curtailing the government. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering yeah. what you thought about that. Oh, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, I think they are. I mean, injunctions are by their nature, uh, or curtailment of, of government power. So no, I, I'd agree with you there. I think the, the bigger issue for me, it's not the injunction, it's the nationwide part of it. So is it like sort of a judicial federalism sort of thing yeah. where a district judge shouldn't be able to reach beyond the, the scope? Exactly. Of exactly. The, yeah, the, okay. the one, that one judge in one particular district cannot determine the policy of the entire country. And we have a, a system of, of, uh, of district judges and we have a, a system of, of circuit courts and and part of the reason for that is, listen, things are going to look different to different judges in different places, um, and 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 it's generally you know looked at as a good thing to say, look, let's have this come up through a couple different different district courts, different factual findings, different trials, go to different circuit courts. There you have three judge panels, uh, or it can be heard on bonk by the whole circuit. And then by the time these big questions get to the Supreme Court, they've been sort of vetted by a couple different sources. Uh, and I think that's that's something. And, and you know, it's it's just a, a, you know, you can always go if you want a nationwide injunction, go to, to get different different courts and say, listen, um, we think you should grant this injunction, too, because, look, we were just over in the. Uh, Southern District of California, and uh, they thought it was a great idea. So you should, you know, follow their ruling and right. so forth. So there's still there's still kind of a mechanism to do it. Um, now, now, but, but it's not like there isn't a check on this, right? Because if a district judge does this, the appellate the appeals court can just say, you know, correct. well, no, you can't make this nationwide. Essentially, so right. It's not like any any random district judge that you can find who uh, uh, buys your theory about whatever can right. just stop everything in its tracks, essentially. Right. I mean, that's, and that's exactly what this ninth district panel did. Right, right. Um, was that, again, it was a weird thing of like all three of them actually came to the same conclusion, right? Yeah. That the injunction was justified. Uh, but two of them said, yeah, it's justified, but only for this district. Yeah. Okay. And, and here, because here's the thing. Let, let's, I mean, this is sort of an interesting sort of question the in, in injunctions and we talk about injunctions probably a lot but there's a couple things that you need to show and the first is irreparable harm and the second is likelihood of success in the merits and there's some other stuff about public policy and other third parties being harmed but it basically comes down to the irreparable harm piece and then the likelihood of success on the merits and even like the, if you got the really strong one or the other you can kind of sub them out um but so let's think about like say an immigration type issue um the the Southern District of California is going to have much different issues relating to irreparable harm than, say, uh, the the court in uh, federal court in Maine. Sure. Right. Sure. Um, and and so there's there's you know different standards, different different issues, and and I think that's that that's you know so, I mean sometimes uh, these questions can turn also on on other um, state law factors and and. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's, it, it's just, 
it's an entrusting a great deal of power uh, when you have one judge issuing these these injunctions, and and then what happens when you you do get um, you know dueling injunctions, right? I mean, you can have two judges who, right. who both issue nationwide injunctions uh, against each other. Right. Um, so I, I think judicial humility is is sort of a, a good thing. Um, and that if you want to say, listen, I'm issuing this injunction for this. And, and you know, the, the other part of this is in practice, um, if you get an injunction out of, say, like the uh, the, the D.C. Uh, uh, district, right, mm-hmm. that's going to effectively you yeah. know, cover. Yeah, yeah, the government's typically not going to try to do workarounds in all the different different places. Right. Um, so so typically, you know, nationwide injunctions, again, they're they're fairly rare or they have been fairly rare and they've ex- were have increased a lot. Yeah. In the last more. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I think that that was kind of the point I was trying to make. Um, yeah. It's less okay. about the injunction or about the the the, well, the reach of it. Well, I agree with you on the humility part. And certainly I think you and I, Jay, are, 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 are a sad, beleaguered minority pushing for political humility on, on the right and on the left, because there are so many people who just feel that that's, uh, no, now is the time to act and act boldly and, and right. you know, move fast and break things exactly. But that's despite our policy differences, that's always been one thing that I think has, that has brought us together, certainly, and made us fairly unpopular oftentimes with the, uh, with the further wings of our respective parties, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, and I, I, again, to me, that is the essence of kind of Burkeanism, yeah, right? Absolutely. Is that sort of humility is like, look, I don't have all the answers and uh, who am I to, you know, to give all the answers. And yeah. I think that's, that's sort of the, uh, I think that's, that's a, a, that would be good to revive that. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we're doing at it. No, but, yeah. no, not, <laughs> not so great, but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, moving on, a question from an actual listener. Well, I guess I'm a, I listen to that. Listen, yeah. I'm a listener. Yeah. But anyway, uh, a listener who's not me, uh, a knight writes, I'm a 27 year old who leans slightly to the right pre 2016. Now I'm absolutely disgusted by the gymnastics people on the right will go to defend their president and still support him. I get, I completely get Jay's past stance on Trump, but now he's coming off as kind of settling in on him as the best candidate. Uh, and I, I'm thinking this also applies maybe to, to Kristen. She took a lot of heat for saying she'd vote for Trump in 2020 as well. Right. So, uh, but Knight asks, how much of that is Jay's accepting Trump's presidency and how much is just towing the party line? I get that Jay's job on the podcast is to give the Republican viewpoint on topics, but with him, it's very difficult to tell whether this is his view on the matter or the Republicans viewpoint at large. Mike that's is very true. I'm succeeding then. That's so that, what I'm, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. And that, that's why I wanted to ask this question. Cause I, I kind of had a sense of how you were going to answer. And he says, Mike is very transparent with what he thinks and is perfectly willing to jump ship on an issue. He does not agree with the left on Jay in my two to three years of listening has yet to my knowledge, been willing to say that he does not agree with the party line on a major, unli- a major issue, unless it is very softly condemning something racist, bigoted, xenophobic, etc. that Trump does. Mike says what he thinks, regardless of where that falls on the political spectrum, Jay's opinion is always right of center. Is I am Jay, as constant as the Northern but Star. There you go. You know, and so he ends by saying, is Jay almost completely partisan and unwilling to concede any ground to the left because that is truly how he feels on the issues? 
or does he just toe the Republican line 100% of the time because that is what he thinks is his role on the podcast? And Jay, before you answer, I, you've answered questions like this before. And so this wasn't like I thought, of, oh, here's a pick right. on Jay question. But Knight poses this question in a different way, in a way I think that's kind of valuable because you and I do tend to approach a lot of this stuff differently in that sense. And so I wanted to, I wanted, I thought the question was a good one and I wanted to, you to have an opportunity to respond to it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And it is a good question. Um, I think maybe I take a different approach to this and this kind of goes to that Burkean humility sort of, sort of piece of it. Um, is is uh you know mike when we started this podcast i didn't expect anyone to listen to it (laughs) um not even close friends and family and then like maybe just once or something um that would tune in to hear what i thought uh and and to some extent i i'm still like that i don't i don't know that um what i think is is particularly important um what i try to do is be a voice uh for for a position if you will right to put that position out there um I, and I'm, I would say in, in most cases, I, I'm on board with that position. I'm in, in agreement with it uh, to one degree or another. But a lot of times also I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate or I am, I am saying this is uh, what the, you know, the Republican argument, the Republican position is. And that, that could be partly, uh, you know, my background as, as a lawyer um, is, I think you sort of, you sort of get this training in, um, Look, if if you go into court and you're like, "Hey, judge, I think this, I think that, I think," you know, what I mean, I, I you would you wouldn't get very far. Yeah. Um, what you do is you advance arguments, you know, and you would say, "My client's position is that this, you know, this is how the statute should be interpreted, and so forth." And here's the here's the arguments for that. What I personally feel about it, one way or the other, is is irrelevant. Yeah. And, and, right. and, I, and I, I, I think that's maybe that, that's yeah. part of that coming through. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think so. And of course, I think part of it, too, is I, I am, at least on my side of things, it, it's it's partly sort of uh, in my personality. You've known me for a long time and I've always been the sort of person to just shoot off my mouth first and sort of, yeah. uh, you know, I, that's 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 always been me. And I think part of that, too, is, is that's why I probably would have been an awful attorney, because I would have just gotten myself and my clients <laughs> into a lot of trouble. Whereas in the classroom, that's not something where that's as much uh, as much of an issue, certainly. And I can be a little more offhand and and outspoken and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I absolutely uh, agree. With that. It, it's a weird thing. Yeah, there's there's a lot of folks out there who look to me to condemn Trump um, that and okay, I, I condemn him. Uh, and all this word, but I mean, it, it's, I, I, again, my, my position isn't to, uh, I, I'm trying to advance, advance the argument with, although yeah. if, if you listen to the last show, I, I think yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I pretty much condemned him at, at least on, on that. I, again, I condemn, if you want to, you know, quibble, you can say I condemned him for being sort of outside of Republican orthodoxy yeah, well, on you uh, know. things like trade, but that's, that's, you know, honestly my position on trade and, and he's outside it. So, but, but I think um, part of it too is, you know, you compared to the other conservatives we have on the show or other Republicans we have on the show, you're more of a traditional uh, Republican, whereas, uh, you know, uh, Will and, and Jay are, sorry, Will and Trey are much more libertarian. So there's a little more bleed over to the left on yeah. some issues. And so, and, and I see that actually as a, as a feature, not a bug, because we can get different. We, it's not just a libertarian Republican view. It's not to say that you don't have a lot of sympathies with libertarian Republicans, but you come from a, from an older tradition, a different tradition, yeah. you know, and so I think that has a certain value. So anyway. 
Okay, moving on. That was a good question, though. Yeah, yeah. I know. I really liked it. Um, uh, Seth uh, wrote in to say, Mike, I thought I would share this story with you. Maybe it'll bring you a chuckle in the way it does me. I'm a real political nerd. Well, that sounds like just our demographic. So anyway, Seth writes, we're getting a new dog, a boxer pit bull mix. He's a dog guy. So right away, it's got me sucked in. Um, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I have five kids currently living at home. And as I'm sure you can imagine, the process of picking a name was a hotly debated subject, certainly on the same level as any congressional debate. The vote had come down to me. It was my decision as to which daughter I would make cry. Would my wife still be talking to me? As any good, as any good politician would, I dodged hard. Instead of making the choice myself, I instituted ranked choice voting. Every, <laughs> I know, I love this. There you go. Everyone's first choice is given three points, second two, and third one. The result, our dog's name will be Apollo, and more importantly, no one cried and my wife still loves me. If ranked wow, choice okay. voting can work for my family, maybe it can work for everyone. And of course, I love this letter for a lot of reasons. And uh, the, the political one was, I think it's exactly points out one of the, what I think are the great things about ranked choice voting. I, I love ranked choice voting uh, for a lot of reasons. And in the future, uh, not to give a whole lot away, you're going to hear me talking a lot more about it, laying out a much more detailed case for it. But I know, Jay, that you are a lot more skeptical about ranked choice voting than, than I am. And so I, I was kind of hoping to get your thoughts on, on that. I, I am more skeptical. And, and that goes to, I think there's, look, when you're um, dealing with, first of all, you're picking names and the names weren't necessarily campaigning for each other and themselves, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think ranked choice voting lends itself to um, more sort of chicanery, right? Um, you're going to have people jumping in just to, to be spoilers and, and it, um, I think you get, I think you get a modeled sort of, sort of view of, of issues and, 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 uh, personalities and, uh, politicians. And, and maybe you end up with, uh, again, just like we do typically, but with, with somebody who just has a good name ID, right. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not crazy about it for those, those reasons. I mean, that said, it hasn't been tested that many places. Um, so maybe, maybe there is some but, evidence to show that it works and so forth. And you also maybe just get the, uh, I, I, I don't, um, well, I, I guess, again, this is traditional. I think it's, yeah. it's sort of like it, it, it ought to be a binary choice, right? I, I, I thought you would take that position. I, I, uh, of course, you know, that ranked choice voting is being used in more places in recent, in recent years. And in part in the past, it was a technology problem. It was just a lot harder to deal with first ballot than the, how the traditional right. ranked choice thing is. It's not, we can't give people extra votes or anything like that, but it's basically that, uh, if your first choice is the lowest polling person, then you get not that, that gets knocked off and your, and your votes go to your second choice person and, and right. so forth and so on. Of course, with electronic systems that can be done seamlessly, whereas, you know, in, in the past when that was done with hand, that would be pretty difficult to do essentially. So uh, I won't get too much into the weeds, but I like it. I think that in the end, it is more small D democratic than, uh, than the system that we use now and will more accurately re reflect the will of the people. And that's why I like it though. Uh, I know that there are a lot of skeptics, you being one of them. Yeah. And I, I think it's a little weird some, because, because in that kind of thing, it's almost the, 
the the goal would be to be everyone's second choice. Right? Well, the, the goal if would be I'm everyone's that first strategy. choice. I mean, you want to be as no, many no, people's think, first no, choice. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think well, you want to be everyone's be second choice because you're under the radar. First choice guy is going to draw. First See, choice guy I, is going to draw fire. I think. Right? I think you are thinking maybe. Maybe if the entire electorate were were like you and his strategic gamesmanship and so forth. But I think you are uh, you are projecting sort of how you would approach this onto the electorate at large. And and I don't even know if that's correct from a mathematical or standpoint. And then but, I think, yeah, you get somebody think, in who's who's yeah. the more extreme than to run to the right of you that that can. Uh, yeah, rev up the base, rev rev up the base, but then you still as as the number two, you know, understanding this guy isn't going to actually win. Uh, sneak in as as the the second. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, I mean, that's those are the things. I, like, well, I, I mean, think a lot of research has debunked. I know of a lot of political science research that has essentially debunked the whole strategic voting thing. That's just not how people do it. And I know you you're saying that. No, it's not. It's not, it's not. It's not how people. It's not how people vote, but it's how candidates run. I, I think it, it's it's once anyway. There's a longer a longer argument to have here, and it will be had uh, when I come up with uh, when I uh, more fully explain all the reasons why I am right and Jay is wrong about this. But uh, that's uh, that's for some point in the future. So um, moving on. In response, uh, or let's see, Timothy wrote in to say, uh, and this is in response to our discussion of superdelegates that we had a while back, Jay. Um, I assume that you both have your particular views on superdelegates because you are both in political parties and therefore cannot see the forest for the trees. So we're both being taken to task here, Jay. Um, okay. Jay actually had a good talking point. It's like electing the leader of your private club or something along those lines. Yeah. Most Most people do not belong to a party. And a lot of those people recognize that we have a binary system where two parties are able to suck all the oxygen out of the political space. Most of us vote along party lines, essentially under duress, because our choice is narrowly defined by the two main parties. The, the, uh, cha- the chafing people are having at the concept of superdelegates is yet a further frustration for people who realize they don't have all that much choice in this democracy. Maybe instead of asking, should a club get to choose its own leaders, you guys should ask what a lot of the rest of us are already, are already asking. What are our principles? Do we have a government by the people, for the people? If this country operates more like a corporate-backed oligarchy, you go. Yeah, I'm liking this. Um, <laughs> do we have a, do, do, this applies to the issues with the two-party system, superdelegates, gerrymandering, and the Electoral College. If any of you are fine with these systems, I think it would be better to concisely express your ideology on the show. I don't believe in democracy, or I believe in limited democracy, to the point where the word democracy ceases to mean anything at all. So there's a lot there. And I got to say, this resonated with me, Jay, because right now, as I... uh, I'll kind of do a little bit of a sneak announcement. Um, Will and I are actually writing a book and the book is the the working title is reforming democracy. Well, I hope we'll come up with something better, but basically my argument in this book and something I believe for a long time is that we have a number of essentially uh, I'll use the word archaic uh, anti-democratic political institutions and processes that made a lot of sense in the context or made more sense in the context of 18th and 19th century America, but no longer work anymore. And what, what I'm going to be doing in the book is 
is proposing a lot of ideas to reform the system and make it more small d democratic. And Will and is Will going will to be, be talking some sense. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I, I definitely agree with you, Timothy, on this. I mean, for the most part, on most issues, I think that we need to bring more real democracy into our process and that a lot of updates are necessary. And Jay, I know that I, I think that so that's my ideology on this. I am for a more democratic, more inclusive, more welcoming, if you want to use that kind of terminology system. Jay, I think, I'm guessing you believe a little more in limited democracy. Well, I, I think so. And it depends on how we're, what we're talking about. Sure. Um, again, if you're talking about superdelegates, um, as you know, I mean, the Republican Party doesn't really have that that system. Well, this is a, uh, a case where actually the Republican Party is more small D Democratic than the Democratic Party. Exactly. So, and, 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 and look, for if you want to like throw some cognitive dissonance at a lot of people, if the Republicans had superdelegates, uh, Donald Trump certainly would not have been the nominee. Uh, at least if they had, yes, yeah, many as the Democrats. I think you, that, that could be right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, well, let's put it this way. He was certainly not the choice of <laughs> the, the party elites, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Uh, you know what what you had is is okay you want more democracy um uh, sure. i guess to um what is it that Mencken said is democracy is that uh, the people ought to get what they want good and hard yep absolutely um you know so i think i think that's it if you're you're saying we want we want more democracy well that this is that's what it looks like yeah um at or least on that on that on that party level of picking a nominee um, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And th that's um, where at I, least, yeah, that's where it can't, that's what it can look like. And I agree that that can go too far. I wouldn't want to see democratic free for all certainly, but I think where you and I differ is you would be for a more limited system than I would be for. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm for letting parties make their own rules, how they choose their candidates. Yeah. And on that, actually, you and I, you and I agree. I think that that is an internal party thing. Now, I, and, I, and I think there's sort of there's sort of a, you know, Darwinianism to it. Right. I mean, um, the, the better the, the better your process for choosing a candidate, the better candidates you're going to have. Sure. And and sort of if you keep fielding losing candidates, you'll say, okay, well, maybe this process isn't working. We'll do something, something different. So this is exactly what the Democrats did in the, in the 70 or sorry, before 1980. And they ramped up the superdelegates because they didn't want to have any disasters in the general election. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I think you, you kind of feel like at least in terms of superdelegates that the system will police itself because parties want to win elections. Yeah. And, and the other, the other point is, look, there's nothing in the constitution that talks about, um, selecting a, a party uh nominee yeah right i mean it's 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 electing the officer it's not um and and again it used to be in the old days they were chosen in smoke-filled rooms right um and those smoke-filled rooms produced abraham lincoln and and you know so um I, I guess more you know but anyway <laughs> exactly. well no but but my my point is um uh i i'm, I'm not particularly for super delegates because i think it is uh anti-small d democratic yeah uh and i think you you grow a party better by allowing broader participation in it um so uh, yeah i'm but but at the same token i mean sometimes i, I think people just misunderstand me um I'm 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 for allowing parties to set their own rules and they can yeah. 
do and, that as as, the, as it suits them. And and on that, I on that on that particular point, I agree with you. On, on the larger point, I, uh, I I tend to agree a little bit uh, a little bit less with you, probably. But uh, but yeah, okay. Um, moving on. Zach asks, "What do Democrats running for president make the focus right now? Gun reform, mental health reform, immigration reform, foreign affairs, or economy? Thinking China tariffs and currency devaluation." Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, Zach, that's... <laughs> it's not going to be mental health. Well, you know, yeah, it's not going to be mental health. Well, you know, I think it's, this is, you know, it's we, we see... Be, it's not going to be China and tariffs either. I think the idea of, of have I like in a way the idea of having a single overriding focus, but as Jay Inslee has shown, uh, that doesn't work. Um, you yeah. can't just be for one thing because you have to bring in a lot of voters. And so, well, I mean, especially if that's your one thing. Well, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but, but I think he made a good point. I, I agreed with him that, you know, climate change is an existential challenge that we're facing, but in any case, it clearly didn't resonate with the public. But, but I think that the main thing for Democrats is to not get caught in the trap of being anti-Trump. And having clear policy agendas, and it seems to me that m- many of the Democratic candidates understand that. I mean, Elizabeth Warren certainly more than probably anyone else, and and she seems to have an awful lot of momentum now. I think uh, in recent polling, she's kind of overtaken Bernie. I think she has the inside track and that sort of liberal liberal wing, and and she has a plan for everything essentially. My kind of personal, sort of my personal favorite, you know, uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg has, you know, a lot of plans. And so I think the plans are out there, but it does have to be fairly, uh, it has to cover a lot of ground because there are a lot of voters who care about specific issues and you need to give them something. And so I, in terms of what the main emphasis is, that's a, that's a tougher question, certainly. But I think, generally speaking, you can't go wrong with economic issues, for the most part, at least if the economy is not doing too well. well. Yeah, you, yeah, you can if it's yeah, yeah, not, exactly. If it's well. Yeah. And so, you know, depending on how things depending on how things look in, you know, the, the summer of 2020, then I think that will dictate a lot of what the issues are. Because, of course, part of the strategy is you say, well, uh, what are my opponent's vulnerabilities here? When you're looking at an incumbent, you say, well, what are the things that he's taking the most flack for? And that's what I focus on. And I mean, I would guess that for, for a lot of Democrats, maybe that'll be the economy, uh, immigration, certainly. Uh, and there are some other things that are going to be a tougher sell, like the, the Medicare for All thing, which a number of the Democratic candidates are already kind of pulling back from a little bit. I think they realize, eh, maybe not a winning sort of issue. So uh, gun reform, uh, I think maybe depending on how it's how it's packaged, certainly, but it's uh, it's tough stuff. Yeah, here here's the problem, and and I I disagree with you on on most all of that. I think if the Democrats <laughs> want to win. No, and look, you, you so you have to have policy positions, right? Regardless of running for president, you have to have ideas. You have to have policy positions. Um, but if you recall, I mean, uh, Barack Obama didn't run on on policy positions. He ran on hope. Well, right? he had policy positions too. Sure, he did. No, I'm saying you have to have them, but. But uh, I see what you're saying. You have to have this, an overall message. Sure. Okay. This, yeah, yeah. In this, in this, uh, in this campaign, I think because uh, I think Democrats are making the mistake of, uh, oh, we don't like Trump. Okay. Well, how about some socialism? And I think that's that's not it. I, I think it's uh, they, it could be it should be a, a Warren G. Harding uh, type campaign. And you know what I'm, you know what I mean by Warren G. Harding? What do you mean by Warren G. Harding? A, a return to normalcy. There you go. Yeah. So that sounds like Biden the, actually. Yeah. Exactly. That 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 you know listen. 
Um, I think there are a lot of voters, and and they can be never Trump Republicans. They can be frustrated Republicans, especially if the, the economy starts going south. Where look, they they're not into. They don't want Medicaid for all. They want they want some sort of basic safety net, right? Um, they they're not for forgiving all college loans because well nobody forgave their college loans and they're still paying their kids kids college loans. They're not for slavery reparations. They're not for all these these other really things that are are, are kind of creatures policy you know pipe dreams of of the far left. Uh, they just like less crazy. No, I, right? I, I hear what you're and saying. I think, yeah. I, think that's, yeah. I think that's the best, you know, the best candidate is to say, Hey, look, I'm for, you know, I'm for reasonable regulation. I'm for reason. And I think you can, you can do that. Um, the problem that you've got when you have such a big field and uh, ideological field is in the primaries, there's going to be sort of this race to the left. Yeah. Um, I mean, right? they're, I mean, they're, they're well, to a certain extent, but already we're again we're seeing some of the candidates kind of pull back on a little bit of that on the Medicare for all thing, and so. But but I agree with you on the larger point is that a bunch of policies without a message is going to be rough. I mean George uh, George H W Bush famously talked about the vision thing, right? Yeah. But the, the vision thing is important. You know there there's there's probably some pretty good reasons why George H W Bush was a one term president. You know on um, the vision thing might have yeah. been part of that, and so. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the Biden message, I don't know if it's uh, uh, Obama, just older and whiter. I don't know. But right. uh, but I don't that's certainly not a message that appeals to the left wing of the party. Right. But I think in terms and that's that's the struggle is to be, you have exactly. to be uh, someone who can navigate the primaries and, and come out and and still have that um, uh, not not be cast as a, as a crazy left winger, yeah. but as someone who have uh, again, the, the slogan should be. Look, at least I mean, like I'm not crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, that should but, be the and and I think you know the wonky thing works with the really politically engaged folks, and so a lot of folks I know on the left really love what Elizabeth Warren is doing, and she's got all these detailed policies, and she's thought very deeply about all this. But unless you can bring that, I mean, that the, the general public doesn't really. That's the guy not, in the bar in Youngstown, Ohio, is it, not buying that. Yeah, exactly. And so you need that overall message, whether it's whether it's hope, whether it's make America great again, you know. And so I think that'll emerge as the field narrows and people they're, they're dropping like flies, you know. So at this point, there'll be even more of that. So I, we'll see that certainly. But what what those messages it, are going to be, I don't know. And keep in mind, I mean, let's let's look also at the the House seats that Democrats picked up in the off terms uh, yeah. in the, the off the off season, um, the <laughs> midterms. Um, uh, those those were mostly uh, again middle of the road uh, uh, to Trump type districts where you had candidates who were not uh, not particularly espousing any left wing ideology. They were pretty much centrist left, uh, but just saying, "Hey, look, I'm I'm not." I'm not Trump, right? right. Yeah. And I think I think that's to me that's the more the more winning winning message. And I'm giving you this advice for free. So. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. So yeah, but um, you know, it, it's um, yeah. So it's uh, getting a, a little late past, almost not quite past my bedtime. I'm not that. No, it's old. dark now. It's wow. dark. No, I know like, it's weird. We've never done the podcast dark. So dark. Yeah, I know. I'm spooky. But I think we have time for one more question. How about right. it? Okay, Tyler writes. Why are conservatives so gung-ho to ban drugs, abortion, etc., even though bad people can still buy or obtain them illegally, but as soon as it comes to any kind of ban or restrictions on guns, all of a sudden it's bad guys will just buy guns illegally, so what's the point in banning them? Yeah. Um, 
That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I think, and I think, well, I think there's there's different answers for different you know different pieces of it. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the abortion thing is is something different in that conservatives see this as the the, the taking of a life or a potential human life. Uh, and and that therefore it's not just simply a matter of uh, here's a policy we like or don't like. It is that uh, there are there are people um, uh, who have a right to be uh, right right to be born and and uh, uh, th- that ought to be protected. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a different idea. Now, uh, drugs. The the idea is that listen, these cause such widespread societal harm. Um, that they ought to be banned, and understanding that that some bad people will still get them, um, you you can you can prosecute those people, right? And you're not going to get them all, um, but you're still setting up sort of a, a a fence, if you will, right? Of of what is legal, what is respectable behavior, what is not. Um, so I think that's that's the issue there. It's almost it's almost like putting you know sort of just this this marker saying. Um, Look, this is even if you you don't enforce it uh, strictly. Um, well, you know, but- I I hear what you're saying, but I think it's it's a hard sell to a lot of people to say that uh, you know the harm that say uh, marijuana does sure. to society is, is somehow much, so much greater than the harm that gun violence does society so therefore we should we should have marijuana as a schedule one drug you know the just most dangerous can't do any research on it thing but yet you know we're we're fine with allowing someone to buy a hundred round bear a hundred round magazine for their you know for their weapon or something like well, that mar- so, for, first of all marijuana possession is is punished very lightly uh if at all in some places it's completely legal yeah, and that, we're seeing a change pla- in a lot of in a lot of places actually because of new uh, hemp laws it's it's almost def- facto uh, legal um so i think that to, to to combine it too and and again acquiring um weapons illegally uh is uh you do receive a, a pretty hefty penalty and much more so than say marijuana possession um the problem we have is that a lot of the people who have acquired these weapons um have done so legally right there's there's nothing to to stop them um and mm-hmm. and it's not a you know those those again people who who are have criminal records are somehow uh, barred from possessing them. That's that's on the books, and I'm not sure what I mean, uh, I, you know, and it should be enforced vigorously. So yeah, and I think kind of a larger issue. I guess is, I guess I maybe I, I disagree with the premise a little bit. Yeah, that well, guns aren't, aren't regulated. I, I think it's it's a matter of just like with the drugs, it, it's it's the type. Like pretty much even hardcore, most hardcore conservatives are. Will say, well, you know, automatic grenade launchers. It's good that they're banned. Basically, yeah, you can't yeah. get those. And so, just like I would be for, I would officially support that position. There you go. That, so that you know, no yeah. grenade launchers. I think just, even the NRA does actually support do. that. But uh, just like I'd be willing to say, you know, marijuana. I think legalization. Yeah, uh, but uh, but heroin. No, not so much. You know. So, yeah. but the and hard, I would, I, I want to add one other point though. Yeah. The other the other point is. Um, there's nothing in the Constitution about uh, sure. abortion or marijuana. There is, there is about a right to to bear arms, and we do have a a a culture, right or wrong, like it or don't like it, uh, history relating to to firearms and and seeing being seen as a a, a you know I guess a protector of your freedom, right? Oh, wow. um, so I mean, and that's and that's there. 
uh, whereas uh, it's the other two are not. Yeah. No, there is that thing about the well-regulated militia and the Constitution there, and uh, but but also, of course, we have a pretty strong drug culture in this in this well, country we do. as well. Yeah. It goes yeah. back, you know. But 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 then, you know, just one other point I wanted to make is that. One of the things that frustrates me, and I know I think it frustrates you about the, the gun debate, is that oftentimes I think we're having the wrong debate because when we talk about gun violence, and we've talked about this before, is that certainly the things that get attention are the mass shootings, and they are horrific. There's no question, and we have a lot more of them than anyone else, and it's clearly in my mind, because we have, you know, like 300 plus million guns in this country, many more than any, well, practically any place else. So, but the vast bulk of the gun violence, the damage that guns do for the most part is, uh, you know, it's gun crime. That's not mass shootings and, right. and suicides. Right. And most of the proposals that we see are designed to deal with the smallest minority of these things. And Hey, I, I want to see those things dealt with too. I don't think there's any reason why any legitimate reason why someone should have a hundred round magazine, you know, where they can go out and, you know, blow a bunch of people away, what have you. But, but what frustrates me is that takes a lot of the focus off the everyday gun violence, the people who are killed literally every single day in ones and twos, mostly ones. And, and that's the sort of thing that I think we should be focusing much more on. And most of the policy solutions I see, like an assault weapons ban, I'm for it, but it doesn't, I, I can kill myself just as easily with a, you know, you know, with a, a 45 as I can I'd with, an, with an AK-47. Yeah, exactly. Thing, yeah. Uh -huh. So that that's one of the things that's frustrating to me. I get why it happens because you use that event to kind of build the momentum for that. But I think too much of the problem is is underground the everyday tragedies that we see because of because of weapons. Well, and I, I, I don't think you're wrong on that. Um, but although I, I'd also say that, you know, you don't want to make the, the perfect the enemy of the good. Sure. Right. Yeah. That that look, if there's if there's partially you can solve part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, let's let's try it. Um, and, and again, I think you'd have to agree that, look, mass shootings, suicides and, and gun crime. And even like even the gun crime, I think you could you could break that down into a, a bunch of different categories, right? Sure. How much is gang related, drug related? How much is domestic? How much is, uh, you know, other? Um, those those don't always fit all the the same solutions to the yeah. to those problems. And 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 in the end, I mean, the fact that we have so many guns. That's always going to that's always going to translate into more gun violence. I mean, because guns are designed to well, put and holes also in that things. we have we have more people. Well, yeah, but even I mean, per capita, we have more guns. So, I mean, right. it's it's just inevitable that the more people we have running around armed, the more bad things are going to happen. I think, and so that that's what's so frustrating to me is that I think the only good solution is a politically unviable, not only a politically non-viable solution, but a culturally non-viable solution. Because neither politically or culturally, I think, are we going to see us getting to the point where all of those or most of those guns go away, like a lot of countries in Europe and other places. And it's just not going to, I think someone could, could kill 500 kids at a school and we wouldn't see that sort of change. I just don't, I just don't see it happening. I wish, I wish I lived in that sort of a country, but I don't. And I realize that. Okay. 
All right. Well, on that note, we will close. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do hope you like what you heard. And hey, if you could support us, that would be great. When you become a sustaining supporter of the show on, on Patreon, you know, you get our thanks. There's all kinds of bonus stuff. To check it all out, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys or visit the page on our website for support, politicsguys.com slash support. And if you don't already sub- subscribe to the show, we would really appreciate it if you could and pass along word of mouth about, you know, how wonderful you think we are. That would be nice to, to friends, enemies, coworkers, nemesis, whoever, really. That would be great. Want to get in touch with us? We're at mail at politicsguys.com. Is our always entertaining Facebook page, facebook.com slash politics guys page. And we are on Twitter at politics guys. The executive producers of the politics guys are Bruce Johnson, Will Moreno, Benji Fishman, and Andra Masker. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski and Jay Carson. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.